you have your Bibles today, turn with me to the second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you study the book of the, the books of the Pauline epistles, you realize that those epistles are letters. They're personal letters written to different churches by the Apostle Paul, imploring them, challenging them, correcting them, rebuking them oftentimes, and understanding the walk that God has called them to. In A.D. 54, the Apostle Paul founded the church at Corinth. In the first letter, of course, he gives them instructions of how to live and how to worship and how to obey the Word of God and live it out through their life. And then as he hears word, gets word, as he's in Macedonia, he gets word that they're not living the life that, that they had been instructed to live. He's very frustrated. I wonder, is anybody in the house frustrated today? Is anybody walking in frustration? Come on, be honest today. Are you frustrated in the things that you're seeing or doing? Paul was a frustrated pastor, a church planter, a missionary, a man of God. And yet, in the second letter, and you have to truly understand this is a letter before you can really embrace the gravity of what we're going to get into today. That he's writing to them and he's rebuking them. He's so frustrated with their walk and he's explaining to them the outflow of their spiritual life is now word is spreading that they are living a life of sexual promiscuity. They're living a life of, of flamboyancy. They're even the celebration of, of something as simple and yet profound and sacred as the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion. They have misused that. And you begin to see the frustration coming out, if you can, in his voice through the letter that he's writing them. And for some 11 chapters, if you want to call it chapters, which we broke those down later in the years to help us to understand the Word of God. But if you want to call it pages, let's call it pages. He's writing 11 pages and he's explaining the frustrations that he's been through. And he says, you know, I was, I was beaten with a rod and it was frustrating to me. It was, it was hurtful to me. He explained even at one point where he, he was in the city of Jerusalem and there was a riot breaking out and they were trying to come and find him and kill him. And he said, I was even let down in a basket outside the city wall to escape the riot and the beatings that would, would befall me there. And it was frustrating. And he goes on to say, he says, I was frustrated. I've been shipwrecked. I've been bitten by serpents. I mean, the frustration that the Apostle Paul went through and spoke for 11 chapters or 11 pages. And then he gets into the 12th page of his letter. And then he starts to kind of hush. He breaks form, if you will. It's almost as if Paul put the pen down as he was writing with, to the parchment. And, and he's, then he breaks form and starts speaking in metaphor, starts speaking in code. And, and in the 11th page of the 12th chapter, I should say, the 12th chapter, he gets into uh, some other things that he had gone through. And he starts speaking about his revelations. And then he goes on to say, even at one time, 14 years ago, I was taken up into the, the, the third heaven, into paradise. I saw things that blew me away, and they were so profound. He said, I can't even tell you about them. It's like he, he declared all of these things openly. And then he began to hush. He began to speak in code. I want, I want to pick up there, if I may. This letter was posed to me by a student of the Word in our church. She's here today. And she asked me this on Wednesday night. And, and, and the question was, what I'm going to share with you in just a moment, really has prompted me to kind of dive into this passage even more so. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. Listen to what Paul said. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so. That's, that's cocky. He says, if I wanted to boast, I, I would be rightful to do that. He says, because I would be telling the truth. 
Think about that. If I wanted to be boastful and say, hey, these things I've done, I would just be telling the truth. It wouldn't be something you could chalk up as cocky or arrogance or piety. He said, because if I did that, even though I would be a fool in doing so, because it may make you feel a little less comfortable around me, your pastor, Paul said, but guess what? I would only be telling the truth. I love that confidence that he has. He says, but I won't do it. Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. He was the real deal. He had connected even so much to the third heaven. And watch what he says. So to keep me from becoming proud or prideful, I was given, underscore that in your Bible, I was given a thorn in my flesh, comma, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad, Paul said, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why, here's the outcome, so that I take pleasure in my weaknesses and my insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you for your word that you hold above your own name. Help us today to rightly divide it with power, with truth, and with life-changing application. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. I want to bring a message today entitled, Faithfulness in Your Frustration. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm frustrated. No, be honest. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, I'm frustrated. You got to do your head like that and go, I'm frustrated. We experience frustration in different ways. I am a, a lover of storms. Anybody else like it when it's storming outside? You can just curl. I mean, you're like, I mean, you're out. I mean, when it's storming, lightning, I mean, tornadoes, typhoon, man, I just roll up in the blankets and I just shut it down, man. I sleep. My daughter, on the other hand, is absolutely contrary to that. She's on the other end of the spectrum. Is anybody out there afraid of storms? You don't sleep when a storm, and Katie's like, that's me. My daughter, you know, of course, she's married now, but when she was, well, she's still living at home. But when she was living at home as as my daughter only, she... (laughs) She's still living at home, Lord. Um, But when it would storm, man, Stephanie and I, we would just curl up and, man, we'd shut it down and just snoozing. And we got, I guess we probably have 12, 13, 14 steps going to our upstairs. And and it's like a ladder. The house was built in 1970. So you're walking up the steps like this. I kid you not. But anyway, so the storms would be coming, man. I'm just, I'm not frustrated at all. Actually, on the other hand, I would hear about three bumps from upstairs. I would hear her getting out of the bed. One step she hit with one foot. The next one was in the den, and the next one was like the flying, and she lands in between Stephanie and I. I'm talking at 19, 20 years old. She's doing that. Because the reality is, is we all experience frustration in different ways. In fact, if I say it this way, there are some situations that don't move you, but that move somebody next to you. Same experience, different outcome. For example, a few weeks ago, we were doing a day camp and I, I'm, a, I'm just, I, mean, I don't know what to call what I am, but I'm, I'm probably a visionary. I can see things. I can cast vision. I can say, man, this would be awesome if we can do this. And, and then everybody else does all the hard work. And, and so it's really awesome. But David and Tyler are, are detail people. 
And so we, we go up to the ridge, and we didn't realize we were doing the day camp, and, and, and it was awesome. We had like 50 kids up there, and they said, okay, today is going to be the day we go down to the lake, and, and we're going to put on the, the harnesses on these kids, and some of the kids don't weigh enough, so we're going to have to compensate on the weight, and we're going to do this and let them go down the zip line. It's awesome, and we're having so much fun. And, and so Tyler and David, I walk up there and say, hey, guys, where can I serve? What, what can I do? And, and they were just really cruel in doing so. And they put me on the ground with a line of like 40 kids wanting to ride with questions and everything in mind. And then they give me this harness. And if you've ever put on one of these zipline harnesses, they don't have just two holes to put your leg in like pants. Do you know you can't even put, my, my, my grandbaby, you can't even put his two legs in two holes. He'll mess that up. He's like putting both in the same hole. Go ahead and add about six holes to that. That's the way it felt. And I'm putting a harness on all these kids. And they're, they're like putting their hand on my shoulder. And they're all sweaty and gooey. And, and it's, it's like. 120 degrees and they're like going so pastor mark what do you you know they're like going in every hole but the one they're supposed to go in and i'm like look I, i'm so frustrated i am getting tore up and i'm shaking and my hands are shaking doug you know what i'm talking about that's we're that's not our gift okay and so we're doing that and i looked up at tyler i said get down here now he said what is, I said, don't even just get down here now he, he was up there doing, putting up, having the fun part, hooking them up and hoping that they didn't fall. And, and they're sending them down. And, and Tyler comes down. And he goes, wait, what is it? And I said, take over right now. I'm about to lose my mind. He goes, what is it, Daddy? You okay? I said, I'm serious, dude. I'm about to flip out. Take this right now. It was, it was frustrating to me. But for Tyler and people like David, man, they just have a blast with it. They're like, find the holes, put them in, wrap them up, put a, put a duct tape on them and send them out. I mean, I, I just can't do that. I'm just not a, I'm not a detailed person. I say that because sometimes we are frustrated in things that really frustrating times can really be hand-in-hand hand with faithfulness. Let me explain. You today may be sitting there saying, Mark, I am frustrated in raising my children today. I'm doing all that I can do to raise them in a godly home. And Mark, I'm, I'm frustrated. Can I tell you something? Frustration and faithfulness are joined at the hip. Here's why. If you're frustrated in raising your children, that means you're faithful at trying to raise your children. If you're frustrated in your spiritual walk, that means that you have anchored yourself in trying to be a child of the Most High God, and you are faithful in trying to be a child of God. And though you're frustrated, it resembles, it shows likeness to your faithfulness in that area. You read the Word of God. Mark, I'm, I'm frustrated in my Bible study. I, I read it, and I don't understand it. It's because you're being faithful as a student to try to understand the Word of God. Don't resist frustration. Embrace it and see it for what it truly is. It's your faithfulness. I think, Tyler, if you will, come up here for just a moment. Looking at what Paul did for 11 chapters, and then we see him break form. And he says, now I've been given a thorn in my flesh. If you would, just, just come stand right there. And it's like... We don't know what this thorn is. And I prayed and I said, Lord, show me what this thorn is. God, just give me revelation on what this thorn is. And you know what he said to me? He says, okay, here it is. Y'all ready? Because some people thought the thorn was that Paul was losing his eyesight. Some people thought he was, he was a short guy. He might have had jacked up a, a jacked up smile. Who knows what he was dealing with, but it was something big. And, and, and the issue was so big and so profound, he didn't even want to articulate it. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and somebody say, hey, you got a prayer request? Yeah, pray for Susie. Pray for Billy. Pray over there for Mama Joe. Pray for Kelly. Pray for this. And then somebody goes, yeah, I got an unspoken. And if you're in a real, real spiritual meeting, they go, well, I got a special unspoken. And if it gets really deep, it's like, well, I got a special, special unspoken. 
The reality is those unspokens are something that people don't want to speak out loud because they're so deep and so hurtful and so frustrating. And Paul's doing that here. Why did he go through all of these things? And God told me, he says, Mark, here's the thorn. You want to know what the thorn? If I'd have wanted you to know what the thorn was, Mark, I would have told you in my word. Or I would have had Paul tell you. You say, that, that sounds very elementary. No, 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 no. Because he told me this. He said, Mark, if I would have told you what the thorn is, you would have discounted it because it not, might not have been something that would have been frustrating to you. But because I just call it a thorn, this little thing that caused a great deal of discomfort, you relate to it because you don't know what it was. So it could be anything. And watch what it says. It says he prayed three times that this thorn would, 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 would be removed from him. It, Tyler, you come stand right here in the, in the light. Come into the light. Okay. Tyler, you represent the thorn today. I was going to call Ashley, but today you're the thorn. All right. So what Paul was doing was he was saying, all right, there's this thorn, there's this thing that is burdening me and frustrating me. And, and what he's doing is this. He turns away and he says, Lord God, I just pray that you would take this thorn away. And it's still there. So what do we do when we pray something like that? We, get, we dig our heels in a little deeper and we, we get serious with God. God, the thing that you called me to do was to preach the word. The thing you called me to do was to go to the Jews. The thing you called me to do was to be a missionary, to be a church planner. And I planted this church. God, I'm serious now. I need you to help me do what you've called me to do. You say in Philippians, being confident of this very thing. You which have begun a good work in me will also complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Deliver me from this thorn, this thing, this burden, this frustration. And he turns around and is still there. Can you fathom what this man, a writer of nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, must have been going through? He's like, God, are you serious? Do you not really realize that this, whatever this is, this stuck in my flesh, this burden in me, would, would, would really be better if you just took it away and to let me do what you've called me to do? And God just continued to say, no. So he went three times. Three times was a charm. And he Maybe this time he cried out. But it's interesting, as you look into the Scripture, the Bible says that he went to the Lord. This is the most profound revelation I've seen in a long time. If you look up at the word in the Greek for Lord, it's kurios. And, and, and it can be interchangeable in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's always Jehovah God. Yahweh God is Creator God, Supreme Master. But in the New Testament, for 28 times, he speaks of the person of Jesus Christ, not the Lord God. What does that mean? That means in this particular occurrence, he went straight past the receptionist. He went straight past the keys. He went straight past St. Peter at the gate, and he went to the throne of Jesus. He went to the Lord Jesus. So what's happening? As he's praying, what is the faithfulness? He's frustrated. What's the faithfulness? God, I'm asking you to deliver me from this thorn in my flesh. And he says, then finally I went to the Lord and went to him three times. So he's doing this. Lord Jesus, I pray in your mighty name that you would deliver me from this frustration, this thing. And, and he turns around and is still there three times. And then the word jumps off the page at me. He says, I was given... A thorn in the flesh. It helped me for just a minute. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but check it out. If I get stung by bees, I don't say, I was given a bee sting. If I've been bitten by a dog, I don't, I was, you know, yesterday I was out playing with the dog. I was given a bite on the leg by a dog. You typically, hear me church, don't miss this. This is massive. 
You typically associate something that is given, as they say it with me, as a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. You see, when I look at this, I realize, so it was a gift. Wait a minute now. So who gave it to him? Well, the Bible says that, that Satan sent a messenger. So it was given by the enemy. Don't, please don't misquote that. God didn't give it to him. So, so what Paul began to do was say, okay, cool. So I'm going to have to deal with this frustration. I've proven over and over and again that it's not going to be delivered. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to realize that God gave it to me through the messenger of Satan. It was a gift. It was something good. So guess what, enemy? Guess what, Satan? Guess what, thorn? Have a seat. Take over. I'm going to put you to work. If you're going to walk this life with me, you're going to get to work. Here, hold my water, thorn. Here, hold my word. Guess what? You might not be here. Hold my jacket. Because you know what? We just sometimes look at the frustration. And we think that it's got a hold on us. But can I tell you something? You can take that thorn in your flesh and see it as a true gift and put it to work for you. That's what Paul did. It's not going away. It's not going away. So Paul said, there's a question that I have. God, why are you not taking it away? And he went to the throne of Jesus. A little caveat here. This very thorn, this very broken part that wasn't even speakable, it was so profound, he couldn't even say what it was, took him to the throne of Jesus. You see, in your frustration, you see your thorn is something that's breaking you down. And it came by the enemy. But what if I told you today that your thorn... Your gift from the enemy really contained a message from God. You see, God uses even the enemy to fulfill his perfect will. We say that in Romans 8 and 28. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. The enemy is not in charge. He is a pawn in the hands of a holy God. And the reality is, is today that thing that you can't articulate, that thing that you can't get rid of, that thing that's so frustrating, quit trying to push it away and make friendship with your frustration. And let it be a part of who you are because guess what? It's going to make you better. Why? Because he went on to say, watch this. I love this part. In the scripture he says, was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me and to keep me from being proud. God was saying, hey, I'm really helping you. You don't see it. You don't acknowledge it. You don't understand it. But the reality is, is that thing that you want me to get rid of is the very thing that's helping you to not become prideful. Because if you become prideful, destruction is on your heels. You see, Paul went on to say, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is sufficient. So what Paul began to do is to take his eyes off of the thorn and put his eyes on the sufficiency of God's grace. As, as, as the band comes back up, because I don't, I don't want to have to stop on this next point. Jesus told him, my power works best, Paul, in your weakness. In some translations, it says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. How many of y'all know that God's strength is perfect? It's already perfect. So, so Mark, help me break this down in, in a way that I can understand. If God's ways and God's will and God's grace and God's love and God's power is already perfect, then what does this have to do with making it more perfect? 
To truly understand it, you realize my grace is sufficient. It's all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So I am now glad, Paul said, to rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So so what he was saying was this. He says, now that I've made a friendship with my frustration, I see my faithfulness and my hardship and my frustration. Now what Jesus is saying is, I'm only, not only sent that through the enemy, I used him as a pawn, but in that containment was a message from me, and it's this. My grace is enough. You see, Paul had to know that before he went into the final doxology of his life. He had to realize that it was going to get worse. He had to realize that things were about to unfold that were going to get even more difficult. If you take the acronym THORN, then then there's some things that Paul said in the the 11 chapters. The the T for THORN, there was a temptation. He saw many people being led, led away. And he said, I'm the chiefest among these. I too am tempted, but I don't give over to my flesh. I walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I feed, Paul said. Though I am tempted, I feed my spirit, man. The H in thorn is hardship. Oh, my gosh. He was, he was throttled about by the Jews. He was, he was cursed. He was beaten. He was shipped. Hardship was his mandate. And then he goes on. And not only was he, did he have hardship, he had opposition. He, there were people that wanted to kill Paul from day one. Paul was multilingual. Paul was the chiefest of, 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 of the Pharisees. He, under, he was taught under the instruction of a man named Gamaliel. He could quote the word of God from cover to cover in the Old Testament. He was, they said he was brilliant. He was just phenomenal in his, in his ability to exegete the scriptures and to pull out teachings. And I mean, this guy was phenomenal. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Jew. He had, he was, I mean, everything, this guy was the total package. And when you get that kind of credibility, when you get that kind of touch on your life, there will be opposition. Look to your neighbor and say, everybody ain't going to like what you are. There's going to be opposition. Young person, listen, if God's hand is on your life, you're going to be singled out for opposition. Not only was there temptation, hardship, and opposition, there was rejection. Rejection is one of the hardest things we experience today. To be rejected. You ever just try to love somebody? You ever try to just be kind to somebody? And you're rejected? I think back to the school days of seeing that kid standing in the playground when we used to play outside for 30, 40 minutes as a, as a child in elementary school and we'd be playing kickball or something and you got two captains and they're picking teams remember that remember that one kid that was left that nobody picked and then finally the captain says all right we'll take you come on we have no idea what kind of rejection that person carries into life And, and that happens today we see it in relationships. We see it, I mean, you just pour into somebody, pour into somebody, and pour into somebody, and, and you're rejected. Paul was rejected by the people at Corinth for his truth and teaching. And then we see the need. The need was so great in Paul's life 
He didn't just call this an unspoken. He didn't just call it a special, special unspoken. He, he really, really got down there to where we all could truly, throughout the annals of time, understand that there was something that might have seemed small on the exterior, like a little briar or a little thorn, but make no mistake about it, it kept him up at night. When he, when he bathed, it was there. Anytime fabric ran across it, it was just a reminder. It was constant. God, through his sovereignty and his wisdom, said, I'm not even going to tell you what it is because if I told you what it was, it might not apply to you. But in the general terms in which I'm using it, it will apply to all of you. You each have a thorn in your flesh. Three times. I I, I really don't want you to just discount that today. Three is a powerful number in the scriptures. It speaks of divinity. The Trinity. Resurrection. I want you to flip with me in your minds, if you will, to the gospel. To the synoptic gospels, there's an account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you read it, you'll realize that when he first took his disciples, he took them all. And he says, watch and pray with me. And he began to pray. And they became slothful. They became lazy and restless and starting to fall asleep. And then he took Peter, James, and John a little further with him. And then he prayed again. Here, you watch here. But then watch what he did. Then he went further. He went all the way. And he went alone and he went by himself. And he prayed yet the third time. God, if it's your will, if there's any way you can remove this thorn in my flesh called a cup, if you can take it away, I'm asking you, God, to deliver me from this. Take it away. Just help me to not drink of it. In his humanity, don't miss this. He had to do this in his humanity or else he wouldn't have been human. What did his prayer look like? It was so profound that he was bleeding drops of, I mean, he was sweating drops of blood. Which is a true medical condition where the capillaries in his vessels burst and the blood came out through his sweat pores because he was so overwhelmed and frustrated and he prayed, God, let this cup pass from me. But when he realized it wasn't going to happen in his deity, he connected with the Father because they were one. He said, nevertheless, I'll make friendship with this frustration because I'm faithful. I'm true. I will finish the course. I will go all the way. So nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he drank the cup. And the cup rendered him over to a Roman guard. They beat him. They flogged him. They mocked him. They persecuted him. They cursed him. And they put him on a cross. Don't miss this. And on his head, they placed a crown of, say it with me, thorns. Thorns. The very thorns that he was asking to not have to wear that pierced his crown and his brow and all the capillaries in his head and his skull released the precious blood of Jesus that would be the redeeming, atoning, acceptable, propitiation sacrifice that would run down his body, down his feet, and onto the ground and make even the dirt come alive. It was the thorns that created the crown. It was the thorn that crowned him 
King Jesus, not only King of the Jews, they mocked him and they put above his, 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 his head on the cross. Here is his guilt. His guilt is not that he was a blasphemer. His guilt is not that he was a liar. His guilt was that he was the King of the Jews. We're going to mock him. But as they placed that crown of thorns on his head, he became not the King of the Jews, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He embraced the thorns. He embraced them. He welcomed them. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Paul understood that. He sided up with the frustration. And love this, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet, watch this, yet he was in our weakness. He carried us. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities and our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet, despite that, the Lord laid upon him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he did not say a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. His sheep, silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth, unjustly condemned. He was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. His life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of everyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But the Lord's God, his plan was to crush him and to cause him grief. It pleased the father to bruise his son. But watch this. Yet in his life, it was made an offering for a sin. Yet he will have many descendants now. We will enjoy long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper at his hands. He says, my grace is sufficient. I'm all you need. You say, Mark, that's, that's really cool that somebody, somebody wrote that as he was hanging on a cross. They wrote it a thousand years before he was born. God knew he would place the thorns on his own son and it pleased him that it may bring about redemption for you and I. You're frustrated today. You've prayed for the thorn to disappear. That you may walk easier in your Christian life. And Jesus from the throne of God has given me a word for you today. It is not leaving your side. But it can become your compadre. It can become your partner in crime. Use the thorn. Put it to work for you. Put it to work for God. Why? Because the message today that He wants you to know in your thorn, in that ailment, in that frustration... My grace is enough. I'm all you need. And if it weren't for that thorn, you would never call upon my name. You would do it on your own. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're frustrated today. You're dealing with hardship today. You're dealing with pain today. God wants you to know He's aware of that. He's not forgotten about you. He's not forsaken you. He may not have brought it into your life, and maybe it was the enemy. But packaged in that, the messenger from Satan is a message from God. And that message is still the same. My grace is sufficient. It's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect, manifest for all to see. Do you know him today as the Lord of your life? Do you know him today as the king 
over your own soul. If you don't today, I pray that you would right now come face to face with Jesus. Not the Jesus on the cross, but the Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you right now, covering you by His grace and His mercy and His love. If you don't know Him today as the Lord of your life, pray with me right now from your heart to God, something like this in faith. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, save me. I accept your finished work on the cross. By your grace, through my faith in you, redeem me, make me whole, and help me to live for you until the day you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that this morning, I'd like to just be able to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call you out. But it's the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. I wonder, can I just pray for you by the lifting of your hand without any personal debate? Lift your hand right now and say, I prayed and invited Jesus into my heart today. God bless you. Anyone else? Hold your hand up real quick. How many of you are frustrated today just with a show of hands? You're going through frustration in your spiritual walk. Hold your hand up. You're going through frustration in relationships. Hold your hand up. Going through frustration in your job. Frustration in your schoolwork, in your, in, in, in your home life. God is saying that it's because you're being faithful to fight through that, to navigate through that. And he wants you to know today that his grace is sufficient. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And then when we do ask, we ask amiss. Today, I'm believing that if there's some, there's some folks in our congregation that would be willing to get up from the comfort of their seat today and come to this altar. There are people that would love to pray with you, pray for you, or if you just want to come alone or come with your family. Husbands, it's time to take your wife. Frustration is the, is the normalcy in your life. Why don't you step into faithfulness today and come? You're experiencing loss on, on levels that's just blown you away. Why don't you come? You're frustrated today because you're pressing in and you're leaning in and you're being faithful. Maybe the today is the day for you to join our fellowship, to join our church. You'd like to be a part of our family. I want you to come. But if nothing else, if God has spoken to you in some kind of way today, I want you to just come and shake my hand and just say, God spoke to me today and just walk away. But don't just stand there. On the count of three, everyone stand to your feet. And when, when you stand up, I want you to take a step forward and come to this altar if God is so imposing you to do so. One, two, three. Y'all stand to your feet. Come. Don't leave out of here the same way you, you left. The enemy's a liar. He'll deceive you. He'll tell you because you didn't go. It wasn't real. Make it real today. Go past the point of the enemy's lies and say, I'm no longer listening to your lies. I'm a child of the king. Marriages today, marriages that are on the rocks can be healed instantaneously by a holy God, but you got to come. you got to be willing to say, I need help. The doors of our church stand open. Won't you come? David's down here. I'm down here. Ben and Tommy on the other side. Tyler's here. Come now. Let's pray with you. somebody needs to come today sir you know who you are God's been speaking to you a long time there's a gentleman in this room that needs to come shake one of our hands just say hey I got that today I'm frustrated but I'm going to be faithful come right now just shake our hand turn and walk away
God today. I still believe there's somebody in this room that's on the verge of just breaking out of an addiction, breaking out of a frustration, breaking out of a, of a lost cause. And God's saying, just one step, just one moment, just one encounter, that's all you need. If you're tired of being tired of being tired, God is wanting you to know today that you can lay it at His feet. He'll take it from you. He will deliver you from all your fears and all your hurts and all your brokenness. He will make you new. The Bible says if any man be a Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Aren't you glad that He takes old things and makes them new? You come right now. One verse. One verse. This is your moment. Just come right now. service when people are doing business with God. So maybe their faithfulness has opened the door for one more moment for you, an opportunity to come. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you today and God's spoken to you, step out. Just step out and come shake my hand and say, yeah, that's me. God's giving you another opportunity right now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. The enemy will use it against you. Anybody. Anybody need to come.